Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who join from around the world to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, joining us from Florida is Martin Achavaria. And Martin is the author of a new lid published book called Enabling Collaboration, Achieving Success Through Strategic Alliances and Partnerships. Al, good day to you, Martin. How are you doing? Very well, Greg. Very well. How are you? Great, great. I appreciate having you on Inside Personal Growth and imparting some of your wisdom and knowledge about a subject and a topic which for anybody who's working in business and is trying to develop strategic alliances and partnerships, um, you're known as one of the key thought leaders in that area. And I thank you for taking this time uh, to be with my guests as well. What I'm going to let my guests You're know welcome. is a little bit about Martin. Uh, Martin, uh, if you want to reach him, you can reach him through a website that he has, which is quite comprehensive, called Coherence360.com. That's C-O-H-E-R-E-N-C-E 360.com. Um, Martin basically has dedicated his professional career and business collaboration, the nexus where individuals and small groups come together to work productively. From building strategic alliances and partnerships across industries, culture, and geographies, to coaching executives and their teams to collaborate effectively, Martin has successfully combined alliance development uh, know-how with collaborative leadership methodologies enabling all kinds of organizations to partner successfully. His over 15 years experience enabling strategic collaborations uh, between global companies resulting in over $2 billion in revenues. He has a master's degree in international management from Thunderbird School of Global Management, a bachelor's degree in business and political science from Emory University, and studied strategic alliances at Wharton School and integral coaching at New Ventures West. Um, in 2012, Coherence received the Alliance Excellent Award from Association of Strategic Alliance Professionals and its partnership between uh, Scotty Bank and Digicel, profiled by Bill Clinton in an article, The Case for Optimism in Time Magazine. Well, Martin, again, pleasure having you on. You might as well get right down to it. The book is, is definitely filled with a plethora of information about how to create these strategic alliances, partnerships, and how to do it well. And you write about a collaborative enterprise as an organization that consistently demonstrates the collective capacities to collaborate. What are the characteristics of companies, in your estimation, that collaborate successfully versus those that are just mediocre at collaboration? Um. One thing that is more than anything, I would say it's building a structure of collaboration that not only relates to how the agreements are made and the structural pieces, but how human beings relate with each other and how people in different companies relate with each other internally with themselves. Um, I was actually speaking to someone recently and many people think that collaboration is very soft, but, um, really it actually requires a hell of a lot of courage to collaborate. So what it means is actually having the conversations that people need to have in order to um, work together to determine what's most important in the actions and, and, and methods and goals that they set for themselves. So it's a both, 
it's both a structural component in the way that relationships are established and the businesses are structured, but it's also a subjective component in which how companies relate to the people that help them grow. Well, and I don't think that, Martin, no? people really think of it What did you say? I, you cut out. Can you hear me? Now I hear you. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, I say they don't think of it more as a hard science like you kind of look at it. I think people that are in business today frequently don't take the approach, which is why your book is great. It gives them some wonderful ideas, obvious in the way in which to approach uh, partnerships, strategic alliances. Now, you mentioned research from Stephen Covey. Uh, Covey spoke of circles of influences and concern. Um, I mean, and this goes way, way back. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, what I'd like to know is how do organizations expand and build stronger circles of influence and concern? And explain that for our listeners, if you would, please. Oh, for sure. For sure. You take a company like Unilever, for example, and Unilever decides that they need to, they're growing at phenomenal rates and they say to themselves, well, you know, we're interested in the environment. We want to um, grow, but we want to decouple our growth from the effect that we have on the environment. So this, in, this interest says to Unilever, well, you know, in order for us to do that, we need to look at our business, not only from what we actually produce inside Unilever by building partnerships with Jacobs Engineering, for example, where all of our manufacturing plants are LEED certified, but we look at our entire supply chain across our entire, all the people that we work with, and we build relationships with them that we start decoupling our growth from the environment. So when I, when I talk about, I really love Stephen Covey's um, ways of thinking about that, and what I did is I brought it to the growth to the organizational level. What's really in an individual level, we think of elements of concern and our interests of concern. I brought it to the organizational place. So it's looking up downstream at your suppliers and the people that help you to produce your products and all the way upstream into your clients. Great, great, great information for our listeners as well. Now, you know, uh, Meg Wheatley and Peter Senge have long talked mm -hmm. about um, how organizations, and I'm a great follower of both of them, they're, they're organisms. And you speak um, about kind of this organism with inside of an uh, organization. You also speak about the leadership summation fallacy and that it results from a false idea that adding up driven, perfect, conscious individual leaders results in strong collective leadership. If we are the, if we are only as strong as the weakest link, which is what you say in the book, how do we develop mm -hmm. our dream teams with inside our organizations? Um, well, one thing that's very helpful is to appoint or have a kind of partnership coach that person can be an internal candidate or internal resource or an external support person. The point is when people come together to work, they become um, what I call veiled in experience, an intersubjective experience. What this means is people talk to each other, they feel each other, feel into each other, they learn about each other, they're in communication, relationships, and we can work on our own individual leadership, you know, until the cows come home. 
Greg, I can work on myself and you can work on yourself. But when we meet, that can turn into a whole nother element because we become a corpus working together and we lose sight of our own uh, individuality or our own capability to work together. So there's two elements there. It's to having someone there who can see from a third person point of view objectively what's happening with the team and help the team to address the problems that all teams have. In any meeting that you have, you have a certain fear that comes up, a fear of being attacked by the group, a fear of some kind of change that's going to happen in the group. You can almost sense it tactively. But when you're in the group itself, operating from this notion that your individual leadership is going to cause the group to be successful, you, don't, you lose sight of that. You're not necessarily noticing what's happening at the group level itself. So you need a support mechanism to help you to um, you know, help the group to become more aware of itself in a way. So a strong internal uh, coach or champion or somebody who's driving these teams to meet regularly um, and collaborate together um, to actually become, you know, kind of a, almost a body of one. Um, yes, like self-correcting and self-generating as a body, but you help them to, like any you think of a soccer team and you think of the coach, the coach watches the soccer team play and it watches communication come through It watches emotionality. He or she watches emotionality and directs and supports the team to uh, maneuver the problems that the team faces. Right. And, and what you know, that is, is people not speaking. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, go. No, that's okay. It is. It is people not speaking. Yeah. It's people being afraid uh, as you mentioned earlier, about potentially some repercussions, um, they don't speak up, they don't, they're not heard, they don't feel included. All of those things are challenges when bringing together teams, um, and it is important to have somebody who is actually championing that and holding, I'm going to call it the energy, for those teams to actually uh, uh, function at a really, really high level. Now, you stated that for part sure. partnerships are a living process. And again, I go back to my prior statement. That was probably Meg Wheatley who really put most of the time in looking at living processes that emerge inside of corporations. And you said that it's emerged from shared psychosocial interactions. Um, what are the foundational concepts behind the partnerships that make them either enjoy a strong or a weak bond? The foundational concepts. Um, well, the first one I would say is affiliation and membership, which means that the group, the partnership is there for a reason. And there is a shared commitment to that group and to what that group or that partnership is trying to accomplish. So if you're obviously, if you go into a meeting and nobody knows why they're there, well, that causes the partnership to not know, you know, what, what's, what's the purpose of, of coming together. Um, another one is clear communication, um, honest communication, authentic communication. I don't think of communication only in verbal, in the verbal sense, though. I think of communication in the sense of the people who are acting in the group communicating to what they feel is relevant, what they think needs to be done, and connecting with their, with their hearts of what's emotionally, um, um, what has a, what has a certain amount of, of, um, coherence, I would say, with what's being said and action-oriented. So the communication is both verbal, it is, it is tonality, it is body posture, and it all needs to align in order for the group to be able to be successful. 
And then the reality is going through and being able to answer moments of change and um, conflict. If we can't enter change of conflict, then many times the, the partnership doesn't have the, uh, the muscle to be more resilient to the changes and the pressures that are being put on it by the, by the external environment. Well, as, as most people know, usually when there's conflict within a, a team or a group, that's when you really know you're making breakthroughs. And, you know, if you can't have that and know how to manage it, it can either simply fall apart and a new idea or a new innovation just doesn't come about as a result of that. Now, one of the yes. things you, that you are really speak about in the book and dedicate, you know, I don't know if it was one or two chapters, but operative partnership methodology, you call it. Mm -hmm. Um, can you simply explain what it is and why it's important to a function within to function within inside of an organization? For sure. What it is, is it's a method that you can use so you can act actively map where the, where the group is in, in, a, in, a, in a process of relatedness. So you can simply, after any meeting, look at the tools in those two chapters and say, well, where did the group arrive? What was the communication like? That's the inverted cone that I've talked about. Well, that's um, that, that goes about. along with your implicit and explicit. That was my next yes. question. So, yes, exactly. So, so if you would, maybe we'll blend these two questions together. Address that concept with us of implicit and explicit partnerships and how, the effect, how they affect organizations' speed of adoption and growth. Because you can see by the charts... The reality is, um, if these aren't functioning properly, this whole thing, it's certainly going to have uh, a, quite an effect on uh, new adoption, new growth, new innovation. And that's really what you're all about, is trying to get people to come together, collaborate, and probably make the speed to market of things that they're bringing about quicker, right? Uh, for sure, for sure. Although you, you know, it's a there's the element of you have to slow down to speed up. But yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. But so, so talk about if you would to our listeners because I think most people listening to this are operative partnership methodology is a new term, and the whole concept mm -hmm. of this implicit and explicit partnership would be a new term as well. How would you explain mm -hmm. that simply to somebody listening to say? Great, I want to know more. I'm interested. I'd like to I'd like to know how this affects my business. For sure. Well, um, operative partnerships comes from the work of Enrique Pichon Riviere. And the basic point is operative, the term operative means that the 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 teams and the groups can come together, focus on the tasks at hand, and be productive in in being able to to do what's being asked of them. The explicit is what everybody knows, what's being said, how people are relating, what everybody can see. The implicit is what's, what, what we all know is going on. It's the elephant in the room. It's what's not being said but we know is there, but it's not being shared openly to the whole group. These are fixed ideas and assumptions and concepts that need to be discussed. These are emotions that need to be shared and worked through. Um, and that's really the end of it. Those are the, the barriers to collaboration are really mm -hmm. these subjective, you know, implicit challenges. And they relate not only to partnerships from an organizational point of view, 
But if we take the term partnerships in terms of human relationship and collaboration inside a company, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about infightings, you know, political issues, things that are residing in the culture. That but doesn't, it, and work doesn't this really come down, Martin, to a comfort level for people to say, look, I trust people in this group. Um, I trust people in this team. So I'll open my kimono. You know, a lot of well, people yes, yes, for sure. aren't going to open the kimono. Uh, so question for you. What are some of the, what are three of the things that help to build trust the fastest inside teams and strategic alliances and partnerships you'd make either with an outside vendor or inside the company? Uh, revealing what you think, why you think, and what you're feeling. Okay. So, you know, so from, those three things. I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, trust is a funny, funny thing. And I hear it a lot in, in, in our culture here in the United States. You know, we think of this trust as something that's outside of us. Oh, mm-hmm. there's no trust as if it's an exterior thing that we have to work with. But trust is something that we create together through our own, you know, communication and our own relatedness. Right. That's where at least the partnership coach can help because the fears that enter into the group don't allow trust to be developed because there's fear there. So how mm-hmm. do you slowly work through the fear so that you can be courageous enough to say what you think uh, without feeling like you're going to be attacked or, or, or fired or scapegoated by the group? Good, good point. Now, when you got to this part about memes, I, I, I immediately flashed because I've almost done 600 interviews to Ken Wilber, Integral Studies, and, and mm-hmm. Bruce, Bruce Lipton, uh, which have been great guys that I've had an opportunity to meet, speak with, and, and interview. But, you know, the, the, the memes and the adoption of your color codes to help us identify the characteristics of people that are part of an organization or team are interesting. Can you briefly explain to the listeners, you know, if they don't know what a meme is, um, how it's color coded because you have several color codes and what those codes kind of mean. Now, where, where does that put a person? Because, you know, Wilbur's done a lot of work on lines and levels and all these kind of things, but sometimes for the average person out there, it gets a little complicated. For sure. For sure. Means are like a center of gravity. It's a way of looking at the world, a way of acting and being in the world. It relates to your uh, way of thinking about the world, your cognitive structure about the world, and how you decide and make choices about the world. Um, it is an, it's a very encompassing uh, theory. Um, it comes from Claire Graves, and it operates at the individual level and at the group level. Um, the color codes come from these ideas of human beings that are more centered on the group, meaning that they are more interested in the group's progress and are more part of the group, to people who are more individualistic from the group. And so if somebody has you know, a red, like, if somebody has a red meme, where are they versus somebody who has a blue? The idea the idea is that it's a it's a vertical structure, meaning that's developmental. Mm-hmm. And that one structure at one structure supersedes the other one it it, it um, includes and transcends the other one mm-hmm. um, so it's useful to help understand where people are coming from but it is like like any tool like like a very powerful tool that if you are, don't use it appropriately you can accidentally type 
human beings and not be productive with them. Okay. So, so I you, use it. It's a tool, but you're concerned that you might use the tool to type people, which would, which would categorize them, which would separate us. Is that right? Right, right. And, 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 and what ends up happening in the, in the work of collaboration, what ends up happening is, and you see it all in business, you see it, oh, well, that person's in the marketing area. Right. Or that person's in the finance area, or that's an operations person, or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, these are just stereotypes that we put on people before we know them. Well, you've got to you hear know? this out there, Martin, all the time in your work. I mean, look, I hear it frequently in the work that I do. You'll, you'll hear a baby boomer talk about a millennial, right? I also right, think right. that that same uh, stereotyping is going on, and it's actually preventing collaboration because they think they work different. The reality is, yes, they have significant things that they do, but to collaborate and have something happen, how would you address that, by the way? Because it's going on at prolific rates inside of companies. Hey, we're looking for millennials because this is the way they work, or we want Gen Xers, or we want whatever. What What do you feel about that? Uh, you know, I mean, like everything, it's, you take it with a grain of salt. You know, you still have to work with the people you work with. And you, on an organizational level, you create structures that maybe try to fulfill the needs of a society or a culture. But from a collaboration point of view, um, those things really just get in the way. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the role of this facilitator is to try to get people away from these concepts of, you know, these, they're used in a way to protect the self. Oh, you're over here. These are, this is what I think of you. But if I bring you closer, well, then, okay, then you're, then you're really a human being. Then you're somebody I can no longer manipulate because I know you. Mm -hmm. I know you're a human being. I know you have a life. I know you have to make a living, right? Mm -hmm. I know that you, you also, you know, live in the day-to-day. -day. You, you, you go to sleep at night. We live in 24 hours. There's things that unite us. But if we right. keep you far apart and we give you this term, it's very easy to deal with. From, so from a sense of collaboration, the partnership coach, the person that works with the group, helps to bring those barriers down by, by pointing to the group, hey, you know, yeah, they work in marketing, but that doesn't mean that's who they are. That's just a label mm -hmm. that you're putting on them. Good, um, good point. Yeah. Now, there, there's something you refer to as group flow. It's an experience of group co-creativity. I use that term mm -hmm. a lot, learning and collaboration. What conditions help to create the optimal experience in group flow? God, I, you know, um, it's, it's, I think you have to work through the conflicts. I think you have to work through the honesty, creating mm -hmm. the openness to, um, for the group to be okay with anything that happens in the group, any kind mm -hmm. of. Um, miscommunication, misunderstanding. I tend to go to the negative because it's like where all the all the energy is. Um, many people will say, "Oh, it's authentic, transparent," you know. And so you kind of, in a way, for that group flow to emerge, you have to cut through that dialectic of the good and the bad, the, the bad and the good, the positive and the negative. You know, you kind of cut through it. So Down. if I could answer that question, I think we would all be great. But it, it, mm -hmm. it's like it's any, any journey, you, know, you have to get there. You have to walk it with, up with other people. And then you arrive at a place of, of group flow that is unique to that group. Well, and I think over time, it's, it's almost like an immersion. You know, people talk about the, um, weaving the basket, right? There's an inner weaving that happens mm. inside groups. 
And it's a tapestry that's ultimately created as a result. You see this happen frequently. I love with, that term. With, with really good bands, right? Musical bands. You know, yeah. these guys mm -hmm. can almost read one another before the guy plays the next note. If you've really, really heard a just really tight, tight, tight jazz band, I'm telling you, that's probably the best group flow you can do. Uh, yes, because, I love, I love that metaphor. I love yeah, that metaphor. Yeah, there's a tapestry that's created. So let's let's talk about the last question here. You know, you have five territories mm -hmm. of alliance development. Um, briefly, if you would, what are they, and how do these elements of collaboration assist an organization in really helping to kind of grow the company both internally and externally? Uh, okay. The first one is align and prepare, and that's about aligning and preparing yourself for building collaborative relationships and looking at your business and no noticing where a collaborative and a, a partnership or alliance would fit in your strategy. Mm -hmm. The second one is in invite and commit. That means inviting a partner into a potential partnership that you're trying to create where there's shared context and shared opportunity. And commitment happens when you commit to work together to develop something. Um, it's not the commitment that happens after you negotiate, which is your typical sales processes. Mm -hmm. You negotiate something, you commit to do it. Now, this commitment is you are committing together to a vision that there's a potential that we can create together. Co-create. Territory three, co-create, of course. Yeah. Ter exactly. Territory three is create and consolidate, which is co-creating together the potential of what this partnership can look like. Um, it begins with a, many times it begins with a partnership innovation session where people from both companies come together to build the potential. And it ends with a, with a, um, with a term sheet or a, 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 a basic document of what the relationship and the business could look like. The fourth territory is negotiate and launch, where you negotiate the final terms of the relationship and you launch the partnership. And the fifth one is create is um, um, sustain and deepen, which is sustaining the relationship and deepening it and expanding it. What makes this very unique is that in partnerships and alliances, the negotiation happens at the end, whereas in your typical business processes, negotiations happen in the beginning and commitment happens after you negotiate. So it is a, a different way of looking at negotiations, a very different way of looking at business. It's a relationship model. The idea is that you build the relationship over time so that you can address the challenges that all companies face and all people face, which is to build that trust so that the relationship and the partnerships are successful. Well, one last question for you, Martin, and that was mm. great. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, over my years of consulting, I've watched an evolution in what I would call collaboration. And what I'd like you to expound upon a little bit would be in what industries in particular have you seen accelerated collaboration and in other industries that you've seen the, almost a retardation of collaboration? Hmm. Well, you see, you see collaboration happening in the technology sphere. You see companies talking about collaboration all over the place. Those is it happening in medicine? I'm, I'm do, gonna... you, do you see it in medicine? Do you see it? Uh, there are certain industries I've noticed which have maybe not retarded, but they certainly haven't gone and excelled. But we are seeing much more collaboration today. 
And I know tech is obviously one that, you know, you're seeing a lot of collaboration in. Do you see this in the medical industry? I haven't seen it much in medical, but I haven't seen it all either in the, um, in the financial services industry. But even in tech, sometimes I look at it and I think they're not really collaborating. They say they're collaborating. Right. But when a technology company says, you know, we're working with our partners, but they give the partners very strict guidelines on how the partnership is structured and what's in, what the rules are and how you make the money and so on and so forth. That's not really a collaboration. That's more like, hey, I work with you, you work with me, but I make the rules. Mm, I see. So it's not really so cut and dry. I think, you know, in the business world, um, you know, being in the business world, having been in it for so many years, people use terminology because it sounds good. Got it. All the time. So you have to really look deeper to figure out who's really collaborating and who isn't. Truly. Well, it's it's certainly an interesting topic that you've written on and something that I think, obviously, you're trying to create greater awareness with inside organizations about the opportunities that exist. Um, it, I'm going to just use this very simply. If people are to open their kimono and be more uh, transparent, to be open, um, really try and communicate with one another, really for my listeners, um, you know, Martin's focus is on trying to create this co- collaboration. He gives great thoughts and ideas with inside of his book. You can get the book at Amazon. It is a, a book is called Enabling Collaboration, Achieving Success Through Strategic Alliances and Partnerships. And for more information about Martin and his book, you can go to www.coherence360.com. You also can go to Lid Publishing. And you will find the book profiled there as well. Martin, are there any, uh, you know, social media sites that my listeners can go to, any YouTube videos they can watch, or things that you'd like to recommend um, that they uh, tune in to you on? Well, let me first add one thing. You can also purchase the book at enablingcollaboration.com. Um, you can and you get and you get five there. more tools or twenty more tools or worksheets or something. Yes, you get extra. Yeah, more. yeah, yeah. Yep. There's extra, extra, bonus. extra stuff there. Yeah. Uh, 20 pages of, of tools and practices that the, uh, that they can use. Really cool. So um, I do have a, I do have a blog. It's called Praxis um, where I talk about collaboration and I have audios and videos from um, the re- more recent one is a Ted talk from the MacArthur foundation, Ellen MacArthur's look at circular economy principles, which I think are fascinating and how collaboration is a big part of that. Um, that's where you'll find me. I, I go on Twitter every once in a while. I'm not the best practitioner of using Twitter in the okay. world. All right. But uh, Praxis, you'll find me. That's at coherent, www.coherence360 backslash Praxis. All right. Awesome. Well, Martin, a pleasure yeah. having you on Inside Personal Growth today and spending a few minutes uh, with my listeners uh, profiling your new book called Enabling Collaboration. Again, for my listeners, um, Martin, uh, thank you for being on with us. Thank you for spending the time. It was a pure pleasure uh, learning a little bit more about what you're doing to create stronger, more enabled partnerships and alliances with inside a business. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. <laughs>